This is Amateur Logic, episode 162, for November 15th, 2021. This episode of Amateur Logic is brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in amateur radio accessories. And by ICOM, perfect for staying in or venturing out to work your favorite bands this winter season, spice up your ham shack with ICOM's portable IC705. Good evening. Welcome to another episode of Amateur Logic. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And I'm Mike. Andy Mill is not with us this week. He's feeling a little under the the weather. Actually, actually, Emil sent me a motivational poster in his absence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Emil got his what was it, his second vaccine this week, a couple of days ago. He's not feeling so good. So we hope he he perks back up soon. Probably will. Yeah. So the cost the cost compliance officer isn't with us tonight, so we're gonna be getting the credit cards out and uh hitting Amazon. So it's no holds barred. <laughs> there isn't a is there a ham fest going on tomorrow at all? Anybody know the ham fest? We'll let him know about it. <laughs> there actually is one somewhere in Mississippi, but I don't remember where it is. Is it? Yeah. We always say at the first of the show, if you're watching live, you might want to check out the chat room, amateurlogic.tv slash chat. Yep. Yeah, because if you're watching the live stream and you're not in the chat, you're missing half the fun. That is true. And which, which half of the fun is up to you? Mike, what has been going on down that direction? Well, uh, let's see. Since we like to talk about the weather, let's talk about the weather. Um, <laughs> a week ago, I'm not sure if they're counting it as the official uh, first snowfall of the year, but we had enough snow to cover the ground last week. It didn't last too long. Everything's uh, gone, of course, and uh, we're probably expecting snow in the next few days, so... Winter's on its way here. Oh, lucky. Yeah, we're expecting it to get uh, near freezing here tomorrow, tomorrow night, I think. Is it? Looks like I'm getting out of here just in time. Yeah, you are? I am. Where are you going, Tommy? Going to Germany tomorrow. I actually fly out uh, 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I was going to say, DOS is good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it should be interesting. So if any of uh, if you guys out there watching her in Germany uh, know anything interesting to see near Dusseldorf, let me know. I have no idea what's around there. Well, I've been working on transmitters and doing brake jobs on my vehicle this week. So I've kind of got a few injuries, 
from the brakes or from the transmitter? Uh, that was this one was from the brakes. I got a couple of couple of cuts from the transmitter. It wasn't that bad, but uh, well, yeah, the transmitter's pretty bad. It's thirty five years old. Oh wow! It's one of the earliest solid state AM transmitters that was made. So you can't get a lot of the parts for it. And, uh, yeah, it's been patched around pretty good. It doesn't exactly resemble the schematic anymore, so that, that's that been a fun experience. <laughs> did you get it fixed? I did. Uh, I posted it on uh, Facebook, a picture. I hadn't been on there yeah. much lately. Uh, well, not the trend, just a, a board out of it. So, yeah, it, it took a while. I'd never worked on one like that before, and... I had to do some digging and ciphering. Mike, there is something new on the horizon out there that you're going to share with us there tonight. There sure is. Uh, actually, it's available now, and uh, I haven't managed to get my hands on one yet. But uh, unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard that the Raspberry Pi Zero W has been upgraded to a Raspberry Zero 2W. And it's got a an RP3AO, uh, or A0, I should say, custom-built uh, uh, system in a package and de- designed right by the Raspberry Pi people in the U.K. And it's uh, claiming five times the performance as the original Raspberry Pi Zero. Now, the only thing I can't figure out is if they're referring to the original, original Pi Zero or the Zero W. So uh, either way, up to five times as fast as the original one is going to be a a noticeable improvement, I would think. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that one. I'm going to get one and put it on my hotspot and give it a try. Hotspot works great, but uh, rebooting and making some changes to uh, PyStar are a little bit sluggish. Um, So anyway, I hope I'll speed that up. You think it'll help us talk faster? It can't hurt. We're from Mississippi, so we need all the help in that area we can get. I saw that, Mike. The price went up on it a little bit, but still, you know. It's a pricey five bucks higher, $15 now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's still worth every penny, though. Don't um, tell Emil. I was kind of hoping that they'd revamp the Raspberry Pi, too. A lot of the projects that I've built with Raspberry Pis don't require wireless or Bluetooth. And I figured if they uh, came up with a replacement for the Pi 2, it would cut the cost down and give you the higher performance. Um, so I'm s- still hoping that maybe they'll do something like that. Yeah. Nate, I hadn't ordered one yet, but there's now a good chance. you can't hardly find one. I'm yeah. actually on the list to be notified at Adafruit when they come in. Cool. So, anyway. Yeah. Well... Tommy, I got a package in the mail this week. Well, oh. actually, I think it was from UPS or FedEx. May have been the mail. I'm not sure, but just know you got one. I I got an email first. Yeah, I got. I think I know the email you're talking yeah. about. This came from our friends Elliot K1MF and Robert W1CAH. I don't know if they're in the chat room tonight. I hadn't noticed. I don't know. Uh, Robert used to check in on the uh, net a good bit. Yeah. George and Tommy, please be aware that you have a care package come to you on the predicted date of Wednesday, and he gave us the tracking number. 
And you know what? It did come on Wednesday, and it's right over there in that box, Tommy. Do you want to see what it is? Heck yeah. Wow. It's pretty heavy. It is. Do you have your defensive mechanism with you? I do. Well, it's taped up pretty good, too. Yeah, they use Gorilla Tape. And they said if it survived, um, wow. yeah, I hope it gets here in one piece. It did. Yeah, it may, it may be the end of the show before I get all the tape yeah, cut off of it. hermetically sealed. I received a package uh, this week, actually yesterday, and, they, and the box is completely wrapped in plastic. And then oh. they, they took one of those... Um, tape guns and they tape every inch of the cardboard with tape wow you may have to cut some of this uh well, the unwrapping here because it's uh taped up pretty doggone good whatever's in here is not coming out <laughs> i hope he left some air holes so it can yeah. breathe you, you might want to sharpen that knife up a little bit before the, the next and the knife is sharp too yeah. that that uh that grill tapes tough stuff man. oh That's, yeah uh, Oh, there's a letter. Yeah. You go ahead and read it? Yeah. Uh, dear George and Tommy, or hello, dear, hello, George and Tommy. Just thought you two might enjoy a preseason care package of coffee and tea. I know Tommy likes the coffee, and I know you, George, like the tea. So my nephew Robert and I decided upon a care package to get you both warmed up for the season. Enjoy the shows and have been watching since day one the Katrina episode with Jimmy's Tower. Keep up the great work and enjoy every show posted. Regards, Elliot, K1MF, and Roberts, uh, W1CAH. Thanks, guys. That's awesome. Yeah. You're right. I do love coffee. Oh, wow. Cinnamon, hazelnut, uh, Stu Leonard's fresh roasted coffee. I've never heard of it. Look at all that. Show it to us. Oh, yes, that'd help, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And uh, pumpkin spice coffee. I've never heard of Stu Leonard's. Interesting. I can't wait to try that out. That one's been great. Ground Harvest Blend. This one looks like uh, chocolate sugar smacks. Wow, a bunch <laughs> of tea, too. Uh, oh, Bigelow's. Bigelow's tea is the best. Yeah, it's good stuff. Here, I'm going to... Pull some up here. Read them and pull them out. Bigelow's classic green tea. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. How do you pronounce that, Tommy? Chamomile. Chamomile. Cozy chamomile herbal tea. Herbal, not herbal. Don't drink that before the show or it'll put you to sleep. Matcha green with turmeric. Lavender, whatever you said. Chamomile. Lavender chamomile. Yep. English breakfast tea. That's good stuff. Now, if we just had some strumpets. <laughs> <laughs> and some uh, black tea decaffeinated. Wow. Constant comment. 
Awesome. Yeah, the constant comment my wife buys on Amazon all the time. Oh, yeah? Well, that's awesome, guys. We really appreciate that. Look at all that. We'll be drinking through the whole winter. Yeah. I tell you what. Might not be sleeping for the whole winter. (laughs) May not. Whole beans. Yeah, we've got a coffee grinder. This This one's ground. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Elliot and Robert. We'll really enjoy this. As a matter of fact, Tommy, I don't know how I knew, but, you know, I always keep a kettle handy. Yeah. So what do you say we brew up a a spot of tea here? Sounds like a good idea. And while we're doing that, um, I've got a segment here I want to share with everyone this week. You know, we... We look at the radio spectrum, and we see things on there, and, of course, we generally understand what an AM signal looks like, what a sideband signal looks like, sort of how an FM signal looks. We might not know all the little pieces on there. And then some of the newer digital technology. Put together a little segment here. We're exploring the AM and FM broadcast band and doing a little trick that, I did not know was possible. So cool. Today we're going to look at the AM and FM broadcast bands and some of the signals that you may encounter on there. You can see all these spikes on the spectrum display, and that's the various signals around. The closer ones, of course, are the ones that are the strongest there. We're looking at a 50 kilowatt signal right now. Down in the waterfall below, you can see the signals of the various stations as well. Looking at the auxiliary spectrum view up here, we can see right here at the carrier frequency, which is listed as zero, there's a hot spot on the waterfall. That's the lowest frequencies that are being broadcast, the lowest audio frequencies. As we head out to either left or right, we see the higher frequencies. These that are sticking way out here, those are probably something like an S, and that's on either side. This is almost 8 kilohertz on either side. That's pretty typical for an AM station. They can go out as far as 10 kilohertz. Most powerful News Talk station. News Talk 1180 AM 96.9 FM is WJNT Pearl Jackson. A legal hurdle for the Biden administration. I'm Joe Chiro. And you see where it went silent there? Or you can see on this waterfall down here, there was no modulation. So there was only a carrier signal alone. We're on the FM band now, and we're looking at a signal that's fairly low compared to some of the others on the dial. You'll notice I've selected FM 8F. That's going to give us an FM baseband display, so we can see everything that's being transmitted over that frequency. Here we see the carrier at zero, and we see a signal out either side. If I were to zoom in on that, we would see that signal only goes out to a little less than 15 kilohertz. 15 kilohertz would be the highest audio frequency that an FM station is allowed to transmit. What we're seeing right here is the left plus right 
modulation. This station is broadcasting in mono. So this is all the signal we've got. Now let's look at a stereo station. We can see the left plus right signal right here in the center. And that goes out to, like before, right around 15 kilohertz. We see something right next to that on either side of the carrier. There's a little peak here. And that comes out to 19 kilohertz. May not be exact on my display here, but it's close as I can get with the mouse. That is a stereo pilot. If a receiver sees that, it knows that it's receiving a stereo broadcast. Right here, centered out on 38 kilohertz on either side, is the left minus right signal. That's only going to be here if that stereo pilot is on and we're transmitting in stereo. That's a double sideband suppressed carrier signal. That's why we see a sideband out here on either side, but there's no carrier extending on over into the middle. The carrier is already there from the main frequency. This contains the difference information, or only the stereo information of the radio signal. Essentially, we take the left signal and flip the phase of the right signal and combine the two together. On the mono signal, or the left plus right, we just add the left and the right signals together. On the difference signal, we add them together, but we invert the phase of the right signal before we do that. What we essentially get is only the difference between the left and the right channel, and that can be used to decode the stereo information in the broadcast. Now let's look at another signal. This is a stereo signal. They're broadcasting music. And you can see the left plus right, and then 19 kilohertz either side. We've got the pilot signal. And then centered again on 38 kilohertz, we've got the difference channel, or the L minus R signal. But there's one other signal right off here on the side. That's about 57 kilohertz out either side from the carrier frequency. That's used for text display on the radio. You know, some modern radios have RDS displays that'll show you information like the station you're listening to and maybe the title and artist or whatever they choose. Not all stations broadcast that subcarrier as obviously we didn't see it on that other signal. There could be other subcarriers out here to the side. There are no stations in this area that are transmitting with that format. Now, years ago I had a station that transmitted, I believe it was a 76 kilohertz signal that contained the audio for Muzak. Now we'll just look at one other signal here. This is a talk station, and so they really don't transmit stereo information. Here's the left plus right, or the mono signal. There is no stereo pilot at 19 kilohertz because we don't need it. So there's no 38 kilohertz subcarrier in here. The station is transmitting RDS data, and you can see it right there. There's a subcarrier at 57 kilohertz on either side. Now, this one is a little bit oddball right here. The first thing I notice is we've got these square subcarriers out on either side of the station. 
The majority of stations do not transmit an HD signal, and the HD format is only available in the United States and maybe Canada. I'm not sure about that. I'll have to ask Mike. This station is broadcasting with it, though, and what it is, it's a lot of subcarriers out here packed really tightly together that represent the different bits of a digital signal. And they can break that up into more than one audio channel if they prefer. On SDR Play and just about most other SDR software, there's no way you can listen to this. I stumbled across a Groups.io conversation. Several people got together and worked off each other's projects and came up with a command line decoder for NRSC5, which is HD radio in the U.S., and they compiled binaries especially to work with the SDR Play RSP radios. So I decided I would give it a try. Here's the link to the groups.io post where you can learn more about it. The command line is NRSC5-64 for this version, followed by the frequency of the station that you want to receive, a space, and then the subchannel number. Zero is the main HD channel, which is typically going to be the same thing that's broadcast in analog. If the station has additional subchannels, they may be one, two, or three. So let's just listen to the main channel here. So much for joining us. Hey, Michelle. Great to talk to you. First, I want to ask you about. And here we are, listening to the program, same as on the analog channel, except in HD. It gives you a little information here on the decoding, the bit error rate, as well as the bit rate that's being used for this particular subchannel. Looks like, to me, they're probably using 32 kilobits per second for this particular channel. Now, if we want to listen to other channels that may be on this same station, we'll use the same command, but we'll change it to a 1. And I believe that will give us classical music or whatever they're playing on that subchannel today. These channels are being broadcast on the same frequency as the analog channel for this station. That's all the subchannels that this particular station has. There are others, though, that might have up to three different channels on there. As the bit rates drop on these channels, you'll probably hear the artifacts. That's just a trade off that they have to make between quality and how many different channels they want to have. There you go, decoding HD radio with an SDR play. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that was around, that that software package. I had sort of searched before and didn't come up with anything, but I ran across that and had to try it. It works fine. Yeah, I see that. Let's give it a try. Yeah, pretty cool, George. I have a I have a question. Uh, the uh-huh. old uh, analog SCA uh, channels that they used to use for like things like Muzak and that, do they still exist, or are they being replaced with uh, uh, digital data like RDS and and some of the subchannels like for HD? I, I think um, well, it's probably still around there. Uh, well, I think radio reading services. Are probably still using an HD, or not an HD, but just a regular analog subcarrier. Music, I think they went to satellites long ago. Uh, and, you know, I've mentioned that 
76 kilohertz one that uh, used to be on a station I was at. Uh, but I don't think there's many of those. There are some using it for paging, or it used to be. I don't know how much of that's around anymore. I didn't really see any any subcarriers like that just when I was scanning here, but I didn't spend a lot of time looking for it. Uh, do y'all have HD radio in Canada? Um, I think I looked a while ago, and uh, I think the major centers have at least a station or two, but I'm out of their kind of coverage area for the most part. I could likely put up uh, an outdoor antenna and pick up uh, stations out of Toronto, but... Uh, other than that, uh, yeah, they're only in the major the major uh, market areas. Yeah, basically the uh, you know major cities, in, in, you know, in, across Canada. Yeah, what I was mostly interested in is, you know, is that uh, legal up in Canada? And so sounds like yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I think I think for the most part, whatever whatever is in the U.S., we pretty much uh, follow suit. Yeah. It only makes sense because of all of the uh, border cities, and as you know, you can't. You can't even though you you draw a line on the map, the radio signals don't don't know about that. So true, true. Well, we've brewed up some here. I chose the English breakfast black tea, lavender chamomile. But, uh, I've never had it, so it smells pretty interesting. It's kind of different, but I haven't tasted it yet. But I'm about to. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's hot. It's very hot. <laughs> that um, little reactor thing you've got down there, man, it's uh, water gets hot in no time. Oh, yeah. That thing worked too good. I'm on, I can't taste it. It's so hot right now. <laughs> But what I do taste tastes good. So. Yeah, mine's great. Yeah, yeah, really appreciate you sending that stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I think we'll take a quick break because Mike, you have a segment coming up here that's has really piqued my interest. After I I watched what you had done there, I'm, I I thought it might. Yeah. I know it's um, it's probably um, well without giving it away. I think there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of folks, a lot of viewers that are going to want to take this for a spin. Yeah, and we'll be back and look at that in just a moment. Ameritron's ALS-1306 is a 1.5 to 54 megahertz solid-state near-legal limit FET no-tune amplifier. It's got 1,200 watts PEP output on all bands, including 10 and 6 meters, instant automatic band switching, no tuning, no warm-up, and no tubes to pamper. ALS-1306's reliability is ensured by using eight rugged MRF-150 power FETs mounted on a dual heavy-duty heatsink properly arranged to distribute heat over a large surface. Single-power device amplifiers can't do that. ALS-1306 outputs up to 1,200 watts of clean SSB power with just 100 watts of drive. Add an optional interface cable for your radio and automatic band switching lets you put your amplifier and power supply out of the way. The ALS-1306 automatic band switching reads band data from your transceiver and automatically changes bands as you make adjustments on your radio. 
Built-in SWR protection prevents amplifier damage if you accidentally switch to a wrong band, use the wrong antenna, or have high VSWR. Overpower protection prevents forward and reflected power from exceeding safe levels. Output power is automatically reduced to prevent amplifier damage by controlling ALC to the exciter. The ALS-1306 is powered by a 50-volt DC, 50-amp switching power supply, which comes with a pre-wired cable. This hash-free, fully regulated switching power supply is only 12 pounds and can be placed conveniently out of the way. The power supply comes wired for 220 volts AC, but can be changed to 110 volts. It draws less than 25 amps at 110 volts or 12 amps at 220 volts. If you're looking for a modern amplifier for your ham shack, then you owe it to yourself to look at the Ameritron ALS-1306. Visit Ameritron.com today and check out the full line of the world's most popular HF linear amplifiers. That's my amplifier there, Tommy. I really like it. Yep. Unless you go in the house before I leave. (laughs) I'm really tempted to get one of those, but... I, I have to do something about my uh, HF antenna arrangement first because even with my 100 watts, when I operate, uh, the the tray opens up on my DVD player upstairs. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, you may need to do a little grounding or something around there. Yeah, I think, I think I've got some common mode currents floating, floating yeah. on the coax on the shield. Well, I really that, like this amp because... First, it's no tune, you know, you just turn it on and it works. And it's got automatic band switching so it can follow your radio and, you know, automatically take care of the tuning for you. That's Yeah, that's that's nice. Makes it easier. That's really nice. Yeah. Well, Mike, I don't know what else you want to give away about this before we watch it, but... I'm just going to say email's missing out because he's not here to see this tonight because I know the price is right on it. <laughs> yeah, the price is right on it. And, um, well, let's let's take a look. Android Pie. A few episodes ago, I briefly mentioned that I had loaded custom firmware on some of my older Android phones and tablet. The Android distribution is called Lineage. Lineage came about when CyanogenMod folded, and some of the software developers got together and formed Lineage. If you head over to the lineageos.org website, you'll find all kinds of packages of Android builds for all kinds of cell phones and tablet devices. Sadly missing from the list are Raspberry Pi devices. Fear not, if you head over to Kotsakang.com, you'll find several devices including the Raspberry Pi 3 and 4. Today we'll be creating a software image for the Raspberry Pi 400. Incidentally, I've read reports that the performance on the Raspberry Pi 3 is lacking, so I recommend that you stick with a Raspberry Pi 4 or 400. You should note that there are several Lineage OS builds, the latest build being Lineage OS 19, which is built on Android 12. Stick to the Android 11 build for now. You'll see why shortly. Once you click on Lineage OS 18.1, you'll see a description of the Android 11 build. I suggest that you read through the documentation located here as it discusses what is working and what is not working. At the very least, you should read through the FAQ section as most answers to your questions will be found here.
Also, be sure to read the How to Install section carefully. These other pages discuss other options such as SSH, etc., but we won't be setting these up today. Lastly, don't forget to read or install Google Apps. Without Google Apps or GAPS, you won't have the Play Store app making things nearly impossible for most to install Android applications. Remember what I said about sticking to version 11 of Android? Here's why. At the time of making this video segment, there is no open GAPS for Android 12. While version 11 of GAPS may work with Android 12, you're only asking for problems if you do. Okay, once you've installed Lineage for Android on your Raspberry Pi 4 or 400, you'll end up with a landing page like this. Now I've went ahead and installed several ham radio applications and um, I did this by going to the Play Store, searching for them, and then installing them. If you install an application and you receive a little warning message that says this app may not be optimized for your device. This doesn't necessarily mean that it won't run. It just likely means that it wasn't designed for say the device that you're using, in our case the Raspberry Pi 400 or Raspberry Pi 4 uh, for, for a large screen. Some of the applications you download and install will actually have this kind of uh, uh, layout or display and you can tell that they were designed and optimized for a mobile phone as opposed to uh, say a tablet. Uh, a lot of the applications you can tell it to install or, or to set up in, in, in um, landscape mode. So you can, you can tell it landscape mode and it usually fills the screen pretty good. Here's an example of that. This is a typical example of an application that was uh, originally designed for a smartphone and a completely different uh, aspect ratio on the screen, but um, you can set it up in landscape mode and it does a pretty good job otherwise. So um, don't, don't be dissuaded by that, uh, that error message that pops up uh, stating that this application may not be optimized. It'll, it'll likely just, just run fine. Let's go back to the main home screen. Um, let's have a little demo of Echolink. I used Echolink and the Droidstar app on last week's uh, Amateur Logic Soundcheck Net, and uh, you can have a listen for yourself. I was a mute, so. But uh, anyway, if you have any ideas, uh, shoot me an email. The question tonight is, how often do you carry an HT with you? Would you use it instead of a cell phone when you can? Let's do some more analog check-ins. Handshake Hotline, Echo Link, and All Star and FM if you're on the repeater. Please come now with your call sign phonetically, your name and your location. Victor Echo 3, Mike India Charlie, Mike in Barrie, Ontario on Echo Link. Here's Droidstar. And I used uh, Yesu System Fusion and P25. Hi, Tommy. Uh, this is George, W5JDX with Amateur Logic Sound Check Net. I'm just going to open it up to any mode. I'm not picky. It can be analog or digital. 
whatever you got. This is only five JDX without a logic sound check in. I'm going to skip over Blue DV Ambi for now. I didn't have the proper OTG cable adapter for my Raspberry Pi 400. Typical on-the-go cables or OTG cables have your standard USB connector on one end and then uh, usually reduced down to either USB-C or a micro USB connector. Now the Raspberry Pi 4 and 400 have a full-size USB connector so I need to get a hold of uh, an adapter so that I can use my OTG cable with it. Let's have a listen to uh, Brandmeister Hoseline. I was listening to uh, Talk Group 3126, and there was a QSO in progress. WBAQJZ8800K, can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Got you loud and clear that time. Uh, very good audio. Not sure what the problem was. I Brandmeister, I think, has been having some problems uh, the past uh, several days. Uh, real weird conditions uh, cropping up. Uh, go ahead, Rob. And last but not least, let's give uh, Kiwi SDR a try. Are you using for audio, light microphonium and all that, using any sort of EQing or anything like that? Well, I'll just start uh, poking around here with the EQ. Um, the the um, uh, microphone here is a PR40, and I have it going uh, directly into the uh, into the SDR. Uh, no outboard uh, audio, but I do have the. Um, In addition to amateur radio apps, you can uh, actually install various office apps such as uh, Google uh, Gmail, uh, the full G Suite, Docs, Sheets, Meet, Classroom, Slides, etc., uh, Google Drive for storage. In addition to the Google apps, uh, I've also installed uh, Zoom for meetings, uh, Microsoft Teams for collaboration, and Microsoft Office Suite. One last thing I wanted to show or demonstrate here is unlike Windows where you have a shutdown key, well, actually you do have a shutdown key on the Raspberry Pi 400. And it's the F5 key or the Function 5 key. When you press it, you're presented with four buttons across the top of your screen. The emergency button, which obviously isn't used because this is not a phone. The power off button the restart button, and you can also take a screenshot of the screen. So let's just go ahead and power off. And we're shutting down. Authorized by the department for blah, blah, blah. <laughs> okay, Mike. <laughs> There was one one thing I didn't mention. 
and I used uh, just a USB headset with a boom mic on it uh, for communicating. So, just as an OS and operating on a Raspberry Pi, is this something I want to do? You definitely want to do it. In fact, um, I, I happened to acquire a Raspberry Pi 400, and that's what I obviously used for the segment. But um, it's going to be my go-to uh, kind of mini ham station, uh, certainly for all the uh, digital modes. And um, analog works really well on it. And, um, yeah, I got to say, out of all the operating systems um, that you can put on a Raspberry Pi, I'm having the most fun with this one, and that being Android, because there's a ton of apps for it. So, uh, other than just the the ham applications, how is it as far as just a, a broad spectrum of? Although of the Google Suite um, works just fine, like I said, uh, Docs and Sheets. Um, I also used it on Zoom with a webcam with a USB webcam. It works fine. Um, uh, I've I've used it for for Teams at least on the chat anyway uh, with uh, some coworkers, so it it does pretty well. Um, yeah, I uh, guess. Look at Tommy's 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 getting all choked up. About I am. It. It's, it's really good stuff there, man. That so, segment. I, I guess what's kind of throwing me off on it is there's there's no start menu button there, and I guess on Android there's not. But so you you have to install the software. That's all you can do, right? Install uh, sorry. Install applications on your desktop um and have your your icons there or maybe in pages. That's right. Yeah. Basically the same experience you would get on a on a on a smartphone that's running Android. Okay. Yeah. Or a tablet. Yeah. I'll probably or run a tablet. It to a card and Give it a shot anyway. Yeah, well, you, you know. got to lose. Uh, just just your time. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so basically, like you had mentioned, it's it's essentially zero cost. Um, if you've got a headset with a microphone on it, and obviously you'll need a USB webcam because the uh, there's no uh, camera on the on the Raspberry Pi 400 or Raspberry Pi for that matter. Um, so you'd need a webcam if you're using something like Zoom. Um, but uh, other than that, I was really surprised. Everything I plugged into, uh, as far as USB goes, it recognized the camera just by plugging it in. And the same thing with the uh, the USB headset. I'm going to have to check it out a little further. Mm-hmm. That looks worthwhile. Yeah, I'm glad you did that because I've been curious. I've I've saw some stuff about you being able to run Android on it. I've never tried it. Yeah, I had seen something about it, but until you showed us this, Mike, I I, I wasn't expecting quite the experience you had there. So thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, no problem at all. I, I was I was happy I discovered it, and I I actually stumbled on it uh, by accident, and and like you, I said I got to give this a try, and. Uh, yeah, I'm liking it very much, and uh, it's probably going to stay on this Raspberry Pi 400. Yeah, cool. Well, Tommy, you have—I don't know. This this is not an email. What is this? Yeah, this is actually a Facebook post, and I thought it was kind of interesting. From uh, Pete Thompson, it was a Facebook post, 
And it says, for the 16th, this this is paraphrased because it's kind of long. For the 16th consecutive year, the 3916 Nets will be presenting the Santa Net on, you guessed it, 3916 megahertz. Good girls and boys can talk to Santa Claus via amateur radio nightly at 7.15 p.m. Central, starting Friday, November the 26th, 2021. The Santa Net will run nightly through Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2021. Pete Thompson, KE5GGY of the 3916 Net, commented on the 3916 Santa Net and said, Christmas time and Santa Net is an exciting time on the 3916 Nets. Every year we connect hundreds of children with Santa and we're looking forward to another busy year. Youngsters can talk to Santa at the North Pole via strategically placed operators who relay the voice of Santa. And go ahead out to the Facebook group and read the rest of it. You've been kind of into obsessed current affairs lately here. I have. And Lots of current. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I did some stuff with my batteries, found out most of my batteries were pretty much uh, worthless. So I started the process of replacing them. In my last video, you remember that I tested my batteries and I found out most of my lead acid batteries are pretty much worthless. The only one, the only good battery that I still have is not even a lead acid. It's this LifePo battery that I bought from Amazon for 30 something dollars. Eight amp hour battery. And it tested for a little over six something amp hours, which is okay uh, for the price. I can't complain. And it powers my 705 just fine. Instead of buying another lead acid battery, I looked, at, looked around and uh, did some more research on these batteries. And I was going to buy a bigger one, but they, they were a little bit pricier. And come to find out that the battery management system, or BMS, is not that great. There are different cells in here, and they need to be balanced. And this, the BMS in these don't balance, so after time, they'll slowly drift off, and you'll lose capacity of these if you get a weaker cell. To manage that, the BMS is, if you have a good one, it can deal with that. Um, the BMS is what turned this off when I was testing it, and it got down to 11 volts or whatever in my last video cut the battery off to keep from damaging it. Decided I was going to make my own battery and learn a little something this time. So these are 25 amp hour, 3.2 volt cells. I bought eight of them. What I'm going to do is put two of these cells together, parallel them together, and I'll have a 50 amp hour, 3.2 volt battery. I'll put four of these pairs together and make essentially a 12 volt battery. It'll top out 14 point something volts fully charged. I'll have more capacity. It costs me less money and I'm gonna learn something in the meanwhile. Plus I've got some cool features that I'll show you. I needed to, some bus bars to put these together. I made some out of copper pipe. I found some half inch copper pipe, the thickest I could find at Lowe's. I cut the copper pipe to go to fit the right length between two of these cells so it didn't overlap if one, one cell was beside the other one. I, flattened it out against a piece of metal and made it just as flat as I possibly can and I drilled holes so they'll go together. And to parallel these, I'm just gonna put them together like so. I'll turn them around, put the positive to the negative on another pair of these and that'll give them in series until we use up all eight cells and end up with our battery. So you'll, you'll see how it comes together, it's pretty neat. To manage this battery, we still need a BMS. I found this uh, JBD. This BMS is a 80 amp, which is more than enough for my 50 amp battery. My BMS came with four leads. I put these terminals on, they didn't come with it, and 
I'll just double these up so that doubles the current capacity of those wires. Came with a Bluetooth module that I can hook it up and I can monitor my battery, set the parameters for this BMS with my phone or computer. And it's also got two temperature probes. One of the downsides of using the LifePo batteries is if you charge them below freezing, you can basically ruin your batteries. So the temperature probe will cut the charging capability off of the BMS if it gets too cold to keep from ruining your, your battery. Before we use these batteries, they need to be uh, evened out. They need to be brought to a fairly high state of charge and exactly the same capacity as close as possible. Because if one battery is low and it gets down to the cutoff voltage, the BMS will cut the entire pack off to save the one battery. Top balancing is really easy. Set your cells up in parallel Use a heavy gauge piece of wire or your bus bars like I did. Be careful not to short anything together because you'll get a lot of arcing. Set your power supply to your desired voltage. The max charge voltage on mine is 3.65 volts, so I wanted to be under. I set mine to 3.6 volts, and I set my current on my power supply to 10 amps and hooked up the positive lead to the positives, the negative lead to the negatives, and let it go until the amperage draw was down to almost zero and it worked perfect. When you buy a BMS, be sure to look for the balancing feature on there. You definitely want that. When these cells get charged, they can heat up and it causes gases in there and these aluminum cases can swell. Right now, these cells are all perfectly flush. To keep them like that, you want to apply, some people call it compression, some places call it fixture. The manufacturer of this cell did not say to compress, but I did ask the seller, and they said that it is recommended to put a little bit of compression on there just to contain. If they swell, it's going to uh, dramatically decrease the lifespan of the batteries. Uh, speaking of which, these have, they're rated for about 2,000 charge and discharge cycles. I hope these batteries will last me years and years. To compress these cells, I went ahead and I cut some wood I had. I bought some all thread and I make, made some holes in it. And I've got this piece of uh, rubber hose that I cut that I slipped over the threads to keep them from bumping into the uh, heat shrink that's on that cell. And these will go together. And then I'll just tighten them up a little bit just to put just a little bit of pressure on the cells just to keep them contained. Now we need to go ahead and put these together. I've got these turned around for pairs. This is going to be positive to negative, negative to positive, positive to negative. Okay, so let's go ahead and, and let's put these on the, the parallels right there. And that's going to give us 50 amp hour, 3.2 volt cell for four of them. So let's go ahead and hook these up in series. Let's do it this way. Positive to negative, positive to negative, this way, positive to negative. Now we should have our battery. should be the positive that should be the negative 13.22 volts so that's good now let's go ahead and put it into our little compression device here to do that I want to loosen these just a little now that's pretty tight right there I can actually pick it up so these are going to be our negative and our positive for our BMS 
Check the documentation for your battery management system and be sure you're careful with this wiring for both of these because if you hook it up wrong, you'll blow your BMS. We've got to hook up the balance lead. My BMS came with this cable. Uh, there were no terminals on the end of it, just bare wires. So off camera, I went ahead and I put uh, these terminals on and uh, put a little heat shrink on them. And this will plug into our BMS right here. And that's what's actually going to activate it. So let's go ahead and wire this up. The, the black one is the most negative. So that's going to be the very first negative right here. So be very careful. In my case, the B minus goes to the negative on the battery. The, these two are going to be what hooks up to your device. And then the positive lead for your device goes to the positive on your battery the most positive. So let's go ahead. Uh, these two are going to need to go here on these two negatives. The black one goes here as well. Okay. Then the very next one is the first positive. So this will be positive number one, which will be the one, the same one on the cell that we had before. And I'm going to go ahead and put it on this one because I've got this extra bus bar here. It doesn't matter which one of these two you put it on just as long as it's on there. So double check it and triple check it. We're going to check it with the meter in just a moment too. So that's the next one. The very next white one is going to go to the next cell positive. So that'll be right here. And I'll, I'll put it on the one that doesn't have the extra bus bar on it just so there's more room. The third one is going to go to the third cell, cell number three, which is going to be the next wiring line right here. One, two, three. And this will be this cell. So it's going to go over here on the positive lead of this one. And finally, the last one, the red one, is the one that's actually going to power the device. And it's the main one for it. So it's going to actually go on the next positive, which will be right here. Okay, so this is our negative. Double check our wiring. Let's get our meter out and check this plug. So we know that black one was the most negative. So let's go ahead and pull this over here where we can see. Turn the light on so you can see. We'll put the negative here. Check the next one. Should have three point something volts. And it does. The next one should be three more volts. Six. Next one should be nine something. And then the last one should be our full voltage. 13.23. If I check here. 13.23. Two, three. So that's right. Let's hook up the Bluetooth module. All the BMSs don't come with a Bluetooth module, but this one did. I particularly wanted it so that I could uh, manage it and monitor the voltage of it. Plus the cool factor is way up there. So we'll go ahead and plug that on right there. Actually, I may put it right there. I think I like that a little better. You don't want to hook this BMS up directly to the battery because this generates a good bit of heat and that heat can damage your battery. So that's why I was going to put it either on the outside of there or I think I'm actually going to put it right here. It looks like I could probably uh, wire tie it around these two posts here easy enough. But we'll, we'll deal with that in a few minutes. I bought a little terminal block. These will go to the black. I'll screw these down over here and then I'll have something that I can actually hook my device up to. I'm probably going to use my MFJ power strip that you've seen me use in the past. For the positive side, I bought this battery 
cable it will go to the red terminal block that I bought now that one will go there and this one will hook up over here that's going to work well now this one will go here I should have all my voltage right there 1323 and this is where I'll hook up my devices and this is where I'll charge now these uh, temperature probes need to be put on I've got some captain tape which is non-conductive tape that they use for batteries a lot you've seen it's uh, kind of a gold looking uh, clear cellophane that'll be used to secure the temperature probes okay I went ahead off camera and I tied down the BMS and everything and I got the Bluetooth app installed on my phone you can see that I've got the Bluetooth module on impaired there are a lot of settings in here we'll we'll capacity test this thing and go through some of the other settings in a later video but I just want to kind of get it built it's a uh, quite a few steps in it but if you're careful and you follow the instructions it's, it's really easy you can save yourself some money and you've got a more serviceable battery if one of these cells goes bad I can swap one cell out uh, if they're out of balance, I can bounce them myself to make sure that I'm getting the maximum capacity. Whereas on these pre-made batteries like this, if they get out of balance, there's really not much I can do about it. It's a lot better option in the long run. 73. I want to know more about that battery pack, but we need to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. Okay. I want to learn more about it. Spice up your ham shack with ICOM's IC705. This portable radio is perfect for staying in or venturing out and working your favorite bands this winter season. Happy Holidays from ICOM. The IC705 is the perfect sidekick and QRP companion. Base station features and functionalities at the tips of your fingers in a portable package covering HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. This compact rig weighs in at just under 2 pounds with RF direct sampling for most of the HF bands and IF sampling for frequencies above 25 MHz. 4.3 inch color touchscreen with live band scope and waterfall. 5 watts output with battery pack BP272 or 10 watts with external 13.8 volt DC. Single sideband CW, AM, FM as well as full D-Star functions. Micro USB connector, Bluetooth, and wireless LAN connectivity. Integrated GPS with antenna and GPS logger. Micro SD card slot. Speaker microphone HM243 comes standard, and it supports QRP and QRPP operations. The perfect accessory for the IC705 is the optional backpack. LC192 has a special compartment for your IC705 and room for accessories for soda activations or a day out in the wild. Our family of favorite ICOM amateur radios are available this holiday season. The IC9700, IC9300, and IC7610 base stations, ID52A handheld, coming soon, and the ID5100A mobile, and it's the most wonderful time of the year to give the gift of ICOM. Visit icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information on all the great ICOM radios. And thanks, ICOM, for sponsoring Amateur Logic. Boy, wouldn't you like to have one of those under your tree? I would like to. I'm actually looking forward to that uh, ID52 coming out, too. Should be soon, I hope. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So... More on that battery. 
back there. What what gave you the inspiration to venture down that trail? Well, I, I didn't have any batteries, and I started looking at options. And instead of buying one, the the BMS is what did it mainly because if your battery, if one of those batteries gets gets low for some reason, it gets weak, the BMS, they go down, the BMS is going to cut all, the whole battery off just to save that one cell, and you lose capacity. I, I think that's what's happened to my little 8-amp eight, eight one I had already. And I wanted to be able to replace the cell if one went bad or and work on it myself or rebalance it and so forth. So got looking at it, and I decided to go that route and do the kind of the DIY thing. That's what we do anyway, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. So do you think you'll get a whole field day out of one? Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, I may have to charge it up, you know, overnight when I go to sleep or something. Um, but I did run the whole net on it. I had the rig on pretty high power. And I ran it, talked on it for three hours, and it barely made it in in it. Cool. Um, so anyway, I, I I would like probably like to have one with a little bit more capacity, but the 50 amp hours is, is going to do me pretty good. I may build a bigger one later. Yeah. Cool. Or just in, build another one of those. In the absence of our mm-hmm. cost compliancy officer, is it cost compliant? Well, I think it's not too bad for what I got. I could have gotten a cheaper BMS, but I wanted the programmable one. I bought a smart one uh, so I can set the settings in my, with the Bluetooth app on my phone. Um, but I got about $125, I think, in the cells, roughly. And then my BMS was about $50. But you can get a BMS much cheaper. But like I said, I, I went ahead and paid extra for that one because I wanted to do the experimentation with it. Well, like you mentioned, if if you have a cell that goes bad or whatever, you can just replace the bad cell. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be able to do that with a um, even that little lipo battery that you bought or the lipo battery that you yeah. bought. Um, you'd probably have to ruin the battery to take it apart to get at the BMS. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't balance those cells. Um, some people on the Internet have tore those apart and, and checked them, and they lack some features. They don't have – a lot of them don't have the cold protection. Some of them don't really balance well or at all, some things like that. So I wanted to go ahead and do a nice one. I'm kind of tired of buying batteries. I'm hoping this one's going to last a long time, like I mentioned in the segment. A lot more complicated than those batteries that they made on Gilligan's Island with coconut. <laughs> I know. Well, I couldn't yeah. get anybody to pedal the bike with the palm fronds on it. Yeah. Well, even when you did, it took forever to charge. So, yeah, yeah, true. And then not not many ampere hours per Gilligan. <laughs> uh, well, that's pretty neat, Tommy. I'm going to have to check that out because... Uh, I don't know what email will say, but, yeah, I think it's kind of cost-compliant when you think about the capacity you got. If you look at the batteries that are pre-made, it actually is. Mm-hmm. So if if you get a pre-made one, uh, 100, 100 amp hour, it's going to cost you about 400-something dollars, roughly, depending right. on what you get. And then you might, you're not going to have a serviceable battery. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. True. I like that part. Mike, sorry we didn't have any tea for you. Oh no, that's that's all right. I know exactly what you're drinking, and uh, that that uh, that brand is top notch. 
this is a unsolicited uh, endorsement, but uh, uh, Bigelow's is good tea. Yeah, I, I got to say, I'm thoroughly enjoying this. I have this was an email. Okay, and this came from Rick Stratman. He said he found a motorized lightning disconnect switch. Very cool, probably very expensive. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how expensive this would have been to build. On the left-hand side, you see the coax connectors come into those little blocks. Yeah. I don't know if those are surge suppressors or what those are, but he's just using them here as the, uh, the female sockets. And at the bottom, right below the uh, SO239s, you see there's a Jones plug there. That's going to be for the rotor connections, uh, if you got a rotator. On the right-hand side, PL259s, and it's got the push-on type of PL259 adapter on. You remember those back in the CB days? You could get those, and you just, like... You could, like, just kind of push them over the PL259. You didn't have to screw it down. I don't remember those. All that's mounted on the aluminum plate there. And you can see the plate is sitting on uh, that a couple of drawer slides. Drawer slides. Uh huh. So yeah. you know it's going to come in line and it's going to match up when it slides across. And then they've just got a inexpensive linear actuator. So I don't know that when you think about what it does, I don't know that this is that expensive. A lot of hours. Putting yeah. it together, I'm sure. And, and, yeah, some money, but not as much as a commercial product. I hate Emil is not here because he was working on that one that his buddy mm-hmm. had designed. I hadn't heard anything else about it. That's a handy way to disconnect your antennas for lightning protection. You know, I built something a number of years ago now. It's just, you know, that heavy-duty mm-hmm. MFJ rotary switch. Yeah, I remember uh, that. It was a cool project. Got a servo. A servo and a, motor. Yeah. Yeah. And a homemade a good one. I'm I'm a casual operator, so when I'm finished using my radio, I just automatically disconnect the antenna lead. Yeah. And I I have a long, um, I think it's from Red Lobster. It looks like a lighthouse. It's a glass, very thick glass, mm-hmm. and I and I put the ends of the coax in there just yeah. in case it happens to arc. Yeah, I I don't even think about it. I just turn off my radio and I hear it. Zzz. So oh, yeah. probably feels sounds natural now. Yeah, it's not giving you the separation that that device mm-hmm. would give there. But you know, my my antennas are there's trees around here taller than my antennas, so I'm not not that worried about it. So mm-hmm. and I haven't had any issues. So um, yeah. unfortunately, I got shrubs taller than my antenna. <laughs> it's uh. Yeah. With last storm that came through, it kind of dropped down a few rungs on the tree out there, so I got to work on it again. Wow. My, I was away on, um, I think it was training, and um, there was a wicked thunderstorm that went on. I was talking to my wife on the phone. I think it was down in Toronto. And she, I guess what she described to me was lightning bolts going across the backyard. Oh, and wow. uh, we've got taller trees, too, but they actually struck the neighbor's shed and set it on fire. They had to call the fire department to put it out. Oh, wow. That's, so, yeah, yeah, I don't know if it's, I don't know if you're safe just because you have tall trees around. Certainly wasn't the case in this 
particular case. Yeah. Well, it helps. I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt anything to have something taller around. Yep. Well, well, the the ideal thing is if you have a neighbor with a great big tall, taller tower, tall, taller TV tower than you have. Yep. And if you fall within that cone of protection, um, you know that's that's kind of a bonus. Well, yeah, that's kind of my situation too. My uh, two meter tower is is higher up than my HF antennas and and I have gotten a strike on it before years ago. That's when oh, I, I remember that. Yeah, I discovered that the uh, electrical service coming into my house wasn't grounded. Yeah, I remember that's when you had the burn marks on your there's, desk and all that. Yeah, there's still burn marks on <laughs> yeah. the side of that filing cabinet, that desk up there. I remember that. Yep. Well, I think that's going to about give us a full show for tonight. Some, All three topics were pretty interesting, yeah, I thought. Yeah, tonight. I think so. Yeah. It's good. I think it's a good show. Yeah. Anything in particular we want to mention on the way out the door? Uh, don't forget about the uh, the net I mentioned on the, from the Facebook group. So every Tuesday night, at, uh, that's not that's the right the wrong slide, slide, isn't it? 8 p.m. Central or 0200 UTC. Snap your fingers. Yeah. Wow, look at that. We even gained <laughs> some, uh, some nodes. Yes, magic. I'm not going to snap them again because then... Uh, That'll last like six hours. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, join us on Tuesday night if you if you have some free time. You'll you. I don't think you'll regret it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, you know tonight I'm wearing my uh, my superhero your, your uniform. Hero shirt. Yeah, this was uh, Homebrew Heroes, the award I won for 2020, and I want to thank those guys for selecting me for that. And all the sponsors that uh, sent out some really nice prizes. I've been getting some good use out of the Siglin Oscilloscope, like the one that you've got. Mm-hmm. And um, also the Analog Discovery Kit. I've got to show more about that. That is yeah, one neat deal there. Uh, but, yeah, uh, thanks to those guys. Homebrew, homebrewheroes.org is where you can learn more about it. And they're about to award the 2021 Homebrew Hero oh, Award. I guess they haven't announced it yet. They haven't announced it yet. I don't know who's who's uh, was in the running this year. I didn't know I was in the running last year, but uh, that's coming up real quick. So keep an eye out for that. Somebody's going to be... Uh, going to be really happy. You know, it'll be somebody you've probably heard of before. Yeah, most likely. So, I'll have to watch and yeah. see who it is. I'm interested yeah. to find out. But, you know, if you don't win, and you're not like the dean over here, and you've got on the colors, where but could you, you... You might want some colors. Yeah, where could you pick up some? Well, it's funny that you ask. You can go right here to uh, shop.spreadshirt.com forward slash amateur logic. You can get shirts, caps... Mugs similar to the ones that we've got here that uh, we've been drinking out of, Ham College or Amateur Logic. And uh, there's backpacks, uh, lots of different things on there. So check it out. You might find something you like. Cool. It's almost uh, time to start your Christmas shopping, too. So good place to get something for your ham friends. Yeah. And if you'd like to catch up with us throughout the month and 
find out what's what's going on, well, there's a good place you can do that. Of course, we mention this every time around. We've got a Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash amateurlogic.tv. Yeah, it's kind of hard to see. Uh, follow us on uh, Amateur Logic or at Amateur Logic on Twitter. That's better. Uh, we've got a MeWe group. MeWe.com slash join slash Amateur Logic TV. And? And Emil, you get the group's IO one. He's not here. Group's IO slash G slash Amateur Logic. Yep. So check into some of those groups. We know not everybody likes Facebook. I don't know about all this meta stuff that's going on, but, you know, I don't really care. Same here. In between Ham College and Amateur Logic TV, we've been trying to post Amateur Logic TV shorts on on the YouTube channel. And um, it, it got to be 11 minutes long, and I thought, oh, this is too long for a short. And I don't know if I can wait to tell everybody about it. So I decided to do it as a segment for yeah. tonight. I think it worked worked fine as a segment on Amateur Logic. And we're not posting shorts every week now, if uh, you may have noticed. We still do them from time to time, so check those out as well. But we kind of got off the... Um, the every week schedule on those. Yeah, but if if you want to be notified when we have them, they're only going to on the uh, YouTube channel, so you'll need to subscribe to be notified when they do come out. Yep. Tommy, any final thoughts before we go? Uh, no. Uh, those in the U.S., have a good uh, Thanksgiving, and we'll see you for Ham College at the end of the month. Yep. Sounds good to me. We'll see you at the end of the month. Enjoy your turkey if you can get one this year. Have you had Thanksgiving yet, Mike? What y'all do at a different we, time? We we have, yeah. Ours is um we had ours a couple of weekends ago. It's in October. In October. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. And uh I think the reason for that is if it, it, it generally we're getting off pretty easy this year. Um generally we'd be uh we'd be getting out the snow shovels by now and and having the usos and scrape cars and our car windshields off and everything else so i'm kind of glad our our thanksgiving is in october when it's still a little bit uh, more seasonably seasonable um, rather than the cold temperatures that we're having now yeah makes sense well uh join us end of the month for ham college and the middle of next month for I guess it'll be the Christmas episode of Amateur Logic, so we've got to get something together. We haven't really yep. discussed that yet, but we like to have something special every year for the Christmas episode. So uh, join I, us. There. I was thinking about that very thing tonight. Yep. I'm thinking, oh man. Yeah. Seven three, everyone. Seven three, everybody. Seven, three. Feeling better soon, and uh, oh, since since Emil's not here, 
Um, if if folks have a, a project idea or whatever, you can send them to Emil at Amateur Logic TV. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm sure he's going to appreciate that, Mike. I'm glad you threw that in there. 